welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Saturday the 26th of February 2011, entitled Lily Work. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1 and verses 13 to 22. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, it is so good to see all of you. Um, don't know how to say it or what to say after those songs and then that skit. What do you say? I'm thankful that um, every time it rains that I watch the water flow to the low place. And I have found out in my life, Peter, that grace always flows to the humble. Always. Grace doesn't go uphill, Dino. It goes downhill. God resisteth the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And you know, that skit reminded me of a story about a young lad who came to his father, Ramani, and he said, Father, I want you to give me what's rightfully mine and then leave me alone. And he took what was rightfully his and went out into a far country. And there he wasted it on riotous living. But Carl, it said, son, you know, I think it's amazing that the Scripture never said he wasn't a son anymore. He was still the father's son. But when he was out in a far country, he said, I'm no more worthy to be called my father's son. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll tell him to make me as one of thy hired servants. And so he got off the road to a far country and he got on the road back home. And when he got a a ways from the house, it said the father must have been out in the garden working in the field and and Michael, he saw his son coming and I don't know what it was. It had been a while since he had seen him. It might have been that swagger in his walk. It might have... Because I know they didn't have cell phones. I know they didn't have text messaging. So he didn't call home and say, Dad, I'm on my way. But the father knew it was his boy. It said while he was yet a great way off, that the father saw the son. And it didn't say that the son ran to him. It said the father ran to the son. only time in Scripture that God ever ran was to the one that had gotten away from Him. What about you tonight? Only time God ran is when He ran to me. He took me in His arms, held my head to His chest, And said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes. And with forgiveness in his voice, he said, my son, don't you know I still love you? 
God may call, be calling somebody today to get out from out in the field, stop playing games, and come on back home. It's time to come home. I want you to take your Bible and look at 1 Kings chapter 7. 1 Kings chapter 7. I want you to look at verse number 1. I'm going to get right to the point because we don't have a lot of time. And I know that this has been a long day, but I'm thankful for all of you young people. I really am. I thank God for you. Uh, I'm so humbled that, that this conference would have me back. Uh, year after year, I, I'm just so humbled. I do not deserve any law, any accolades, any notoriety. don't want any. All I want to hear is Jesus. All I want to hear is Jesus say, well done when I get to heaven. I hope that's your prayer. I hope you want to hear him say, I'm delighted in my servant. Look at verse number one. It says, but Solomon was building his house 13 years and he finished all of his house and let your eyes fall over to verse number 13. And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. And he was a widow's son of the tribe of Nephtali. His father was a man of Tyre. A worker in brass and was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning to work all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrote all of his work. For he cast two pillars of brass of 18 cubits high apiece. And a line of 12 cubits did compass each of them about. And he made two chapters or crowns of molten brass to set upon the tops of the pillars. And the height of one chapter was five cubits, and the height of the other chapter was five cubits. And, net, and nets of checker work, and reeves of chain work, for the chapter or crowns which were upon the top of the pillars, seven on one chapter and seven on the other. Look at verse number 19. And the chapters that were upon the top of the pillars were of lily work. Lily work. In the porch, four cubits. Look at verse 21. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple, and he called the, the set up the, the right pillar and called the name of thereof Jacob, which means he establishes. And he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz, which means in him is strength. And verse number 22 says, And upon the top of the pillars was lily work. You ought to underline those words in your Bible. Lily work. And so was the work of the pillars finished. I want to preach a message to you tonight entitled Lily Work. Lily Work. You wouldn't have had been a, just a common observer when you rode into Jerusalem that you would have noticed a building that stood head and shoulders above everything else in Jerusalem. It was called the Temple of Solomon. An unbelievable structure. It was the gem of Jerusalem. It was their pride and joy. Now, I'm not going to focus on the temple, but I do want to focus on a particular part of the temple tonight. When they built this temple, when Solomon had it built, listen, literally the, the, the inner courts were unbelievable. When we went into the holy place, uh, those walls were lined, Carl, with pure gold. Cedar walls overlaid with pure gold. When you went into the Holy of Holies, there was a veil at some 20 to 25 feet in height that was five inches thick. And when Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary uh, screamed those words and shouted it out that it was finished, tetelestii, it is finished. That veil was written too from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Only God could rent it from top to bottom. 
and it made access for every blood-bought, born-again believer to come before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And can God's people say amen? You don't have to have a high priest. You don't have to go and confess your faults to another man. You can go boldly today because that veil and that way was made that you have access to go before the throne of God yourself. But that's not what I want to focus on. I want us to go a little bit farther out and get on the porch again. On that porch, Dino, were two pillars, one named Jacob and the other Boaz. Now, can I explain something to you? These pillars weren't even for structural reasons. These pillars were for decoration. May I submit to you that these pillars, each one weighed 18 to 20 tons apiece. They were some 35 to 40 feet in height. They had a crown or a capital on top that was another five feet. They were literally 18 to 20 feet in circumference. They were overlaid with pure gold. I think it's amazing that he named them Jacob and Boaz. In him is strength and he establishes. May I say this? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If this, listen, if the place where you go back tomorrow or next week and worship is nothing more than a, listen, is nothing more than a building that you built and that you worship, that's all it is. It's not God's house, it's your house. And by the way, God uh, cannot be held in temples made with hands. We are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us. Now these two pillars on top of these capitals or crowns was this intricate carving and literally in the scripture it calls it uh, checker work or net work and it was literally pomegranates and uh, lilies of leaves all the way around it that this man called Hiram was employed by King Solomon to do this. He was a worker in brass. He carved intricate uh, networks of crowns work around these ch capitals or uh, cha uh, chapters. And ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you that the Scripture doesn't tell us this, but Josephus wrote in historical writings that it took him five and a half to six months to carve this intricate lily work on top of these capitals or crowns. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. Steve, when they raised these two pillars, which were 35 to 40 feet in height, into place, here Hiram has worked for six months carving this intricate lily work on top, Michael, of these pillars that's 40 feet in the air, do you think that anybody that walked into the temple, whether they were a worshiper or they were a priest, looked up 40 feet in the air and went, man, that is nice lily work up there? No. I submit to you that nobody would ever notice what Hiram did. Once those pillars were raised into place, his work was literally going to be invisible to the rest of the world. The only person that would ever see it again was God. Then you say, preacher, what are you trying to say tonight? Young people, if we're going to love the Lord this way, and we're going to love the Lord this way, it's got to cease being about us. It's got to cease being about us. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you have legitimate lily work in your life? Now, I'm going to ask you to kick your brain out of neutral because some of y'all thought, well, we're just going to go into another message and I don't have to think. I'm just going to hear that Jesus saves, His blood's sufficient, and we're going to go home. No, I want you to think with me tonight. Will you do that? 
This is yes, this is no. Will you do that for me? Good. Do you do lily work? See, folks, everybody in this room has a motivation for doing what you do. Hey, do you do what you do at church so the pastor will pat you on the back and they'll put a plaque on the side of a pew that says, in honor of? If you do it for that reason, let me tell you something. Your reward's here. It ain't in heaven. I know that's bad English, but it's good preaching. Your reward's not here. It, listen, if you do it for Jesus Christ, your reward's going to be great in heaven. See, can I ask you something tonight? Why do you do what you do? Number one, I want to see the character of Lily work. Who do we do this for? See, folks, there's things in your life that probably go unnoticed and nobody else sees. There are people in this church that clean the church, they cook meals, they go out and they uh, tend to the elderly that nobody else sees. But may I submit to you that it might not be seen, Peter, by people on the earth, but God sees it and it's called Lily work. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it that somebody might go in the back of their mind, boy, if I tell you what our church would be a mess without that guy? If you do it for that reason, it ain't lily work. Who do we do this for? Why are we doing this? See, folks, I submit to you that when we get before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat, if you're a blood-bought, born-again believer, you're not going to be, thank God, you're not going to be judged at the great white throne. You're going to stand before the Bema, before Jesus Christ, and you're going to receive rewards and what you've done in your body after you've been saved, whether it be good or bad. You say, preacher, I'm going to be judged for bad things. No, it means worthless things. Wood, hay, and stubble. You're going to be judged whether your works and it's going to be tried by fire. And if it's gold, silver, precious stone, it's going to be purified. But if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn up. You know, I don't want to get to heaven and think I, and, and just find out, Salam, that I just got there by the skin of my teeth. I'm going to tell you all something. I got from the ninth grade to the tenth grade by the skin of my teeth. I don't want to get from earth to heaven that way. Some people said, well, I'm saved, got my fire insurance out of hell, got it right here, and I'm good to go. You know what? When I get before him, I don't want to have to sing the song more and more, so much more. When by his grace I shall look on his face, I had wished I had given him more. I don't want to have to sing those words. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ as His people, and we're going to receive or lose reward based upon what we've done. May I say this? When you stand before Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged on not what you've done, but why you've done it. This is not a quantity, Dave, judgment. It's a, listen, quality judgment. It's not how much. It's why. Do you have lily work in your life? Number one, the character of lily work it's who we do it for. You know who we do it for, brother? We do it for Jesus Christ. When I was in the Marine Corps, and some of y'all wondered why my hair looks like it does, or the lack thereof, it's because I was in the Marine Corps eight years, and I was a youth pastor. That's why I ain't got no hair. I was in the Marine Corps eight years. I remember this distinctly when I was at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina that we used to get, because I was the A driver for our platoon, and I'd drive our commanding officer around when he needed to go somewhere. I went into his office one day, and there was a manila folder on his desk, and it had a red stamp, a square stamp, and it said confidential above it, and in, that, in the middle of that box, it said for the eyes of the commanding officer alone. And I thought, huh. 
Do you know there's some things that we ought to be doing that stepped, that's going ahead to heaven, that says for the eyes of God only? Why do you do what you do? Do you have lily work in your life? If you're going to do true lily work, it's going to have to be done for Jesus Christ. See, when you're getting your message together, preachers, and you're begging God to give you a portion and get you, give you some meat so you could give it to your people on Saturday night or early Sunday morning. Nobody else sees that when you're laboring and toiling over the Scripture. But let me tell you something. God sees it, and it's called lily work. When you're in there and you youth workers and some of you that go out and you visit and you sit, oh, oh, listen, night after night, stamping gospel tracts and folding leaflets to go out to the communities. You know what? Nobody else might see that, but God sees it, and it's called lily work. When you labor in prayer over one of those little babies that's in your class that you've been teaching uh, primary all the way up and you see them in third grade and fourth grade and you get on your face and you beg God to save them and nobody else sees it. Can I tell you that nobody might see it but God does and it's lily work. If it, listen, I want to make sure that when I do what I do, it's for King Jesus. I want to make sure the character of the lily work that I do it's for none other than Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are things that we're going to do that will be seen of men. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But not everything is to be that way. I had a kid in my church, been saved about two and a half, three months Michael, I came in one Sunday evening after we got done with the service and I heard all kind of shuffling going on in the auditorium and I went out there. I didn't see anybody, but I heard a lot of bodies, okay? I heard uh, something was going on. I said, who is out there? About halfway back in the middle aisle, just like the, in the middle section of seats, a, a, a head popped up and it was that young man. I said, son, what are you doing? He said, you know what, preacher, I got a burden tonight when when we were singing our songs, that when everybody put their hymnal back in the hymn rack, it made an awful commotion. And he said, my daddy works and lays carpet for a living. And he said, I took some of that padding and I made these pads just the same size as the bottom of the hymn racks. And he said, I'm putting them in here so when everybody slides their hymnal back in the hymn rack, it doesn't make a lot of commotion. It doesn't make a lot of noise. He said, but don't tell nobody I'm doing this. I'm doing this for God. Two and a half month old baby Christian said, I'm doing this for Jesus. He was two and a half months old in the Lord, just been saved. He had more integrity than most people do because I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people that do what they do with an ulterior motive that want to be patted on the back or have some recognition. And let me tell you something. If you do it for that reason, go ahead and enjoy it now because Bubba, you ain't getting nothing when you get to heaven about that. The character of our lily work. Who do we do it for? We do it for Jesus Christ. But can I give you some characteristics for lily work? Now, I'm going to go real quick, okay? Because I don't have a lot of time, and I know that some of y'all's eyelids are getting a little heavy. I resemble that remark. The characteristics of our lily work. When we do something, we ought to do it for Jesus Christ, but how should we do it? How do we do lily work? Well, I'm glad you asked me. I'm going to show you, all right? Look at Matthew chapter number 6 very quickly. Matthew chapter number 6, look at verse number 1. Very quickly now, I've got to move quick. Matthew chapter number 6, look at verse number 1. Jesus said these words, he said, Take heed, beware that you do not your alms, your giving before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. But when thou doest alms, when you do your giving, now by the way, I want all of you to look at me right now. 
Jesus was talking about your offering, your giving at the temple in that day in his alms. But can I say this? I'm not talking about your pocketbook tonight. I'm talking about every facet of your being, every area of your life. It might be money. It might be ministry. It might be mercy. And you're to give. You know what? God created everything to give. He created the sun to give light. He created a cow to give milk. He created a chicken to give an egg. And he created you to give. And if you don't give and you, all you do is take, you're going to be nothing more than a cesspool and not a channel of a blessing. You're welcome. God created you to give. And if we're going to give, he said, take heed, beware that you don't do your alms before men that you might be seen of them. Because if you do it for that reason, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. But when thou doest alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you doest thou alms, let not thy what? Left hand know what thy right hand giveth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. First way you give. If you're going to do lily work, number one, you need to do it humbly. Humbly. That's a missing word in Christianity today, isn't it? Where's the humility at in Christianity today? When we do something, we ought to do it humbly. That means we ought not sound a trumpet. We ought not look for recognition. I had a guy that I knew in a church that gave a sound system to our church, and you know what? He said the stipulation for him giving it, sir, for giving the sound system to the church is the only way he would give it is if they would put a plaque up above it that said, this sound system donated by Dr. So-and-so. I said, you might as well go ahead and enjoy it right here because the recording angel in heaven ain't going to write down nothing in, in the book. When you give lily work, the characteristics is, number one, you give humbly. Give humbly. Turn to Acts chapter number 5 very quickly. Acts chapter number 5. I'm going to try to keep you awake, all right? I'm going to preach loud and fast. That way you're going, whoa, 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 you know. Acts chapter number 5, look at verse number 1. The first way we ought to give is how? Say it to me. Humbly. Say it. Humbly. Number two, we ought to give this way. Look at verse, verse number one. Acts chapter number five, verse number one. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled that heart to lie of the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? He said, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? He said, You have not, listen, you have not lied unto men. You've lied unto God. You've lied to the Holy Ghost. You know what he was saying, basically? Number one, when you had your land... You didn't have to sell it. And number two, after you sold it, you didn't have to give a dime. The problem is not that you didn't give. The problem is you gave some, but said you gave it all. You lied. And you know what happened in this story? Paul Harvey, as he said, the rest of the story is both of them died because they lied in church about what they did. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit of God don't work in the 21st century like he worked in the 1st century church? I know it's real quiet in here. Because there'd be people dying of heart attacks every single day for lying to the Holy Ghost about what they do and why they do it. You know I'm telling the truth. You know I am. If you're going to give, number one, give humbly, but number two, give honestly. Honestly. 
That means, you know what? Don't try to deceive God about what you do and why you do it. By the way, he knew what you was going to do and what, why you was going to do it before you ever even attempted it. So number one, you give humbly. Number two, you give honestly. I had a guy in the church that came to me and he said, you know what, preacher? I want to give a, a check to the church and I don't want you to mention my name, but I'm going to give it and I hope it'll be a blessing to the church. It was a pretty substantial amount. This was years ago. Pretty substantial amount of money. He gave it. Now listen, I'm talking about money, but I'm not talking about your pocketbook. I'm talking about what you do and why you do it. He said this, young people, because listen, I believe that the way we give is a direct reflection of what's inside of us, our heart condition. Yeah, thank you. I got one. I got one out of that. It's a direct reflection of our heart condition. This guy said, do not tell anybody I did it. May I say this? A month went by. I didn't say a thing. For the next month, Dave, he didn't come to church for four Sundays straight. I went to his house. I knocked on the door. He came to the door and said, hey, preacher, I've been wanting to talk to you anyway. I'm glad you showed up. I said, well, praise the Lord, I've been missing you. Where you been? He said, I'm a little miffed at you. I said, what I do? You know, I'm, I'm replaying everything in my mind. What have I said in a message? And then I figured, then it hit me. He ain't been there, so it's nothing I've said in a message. He ain't been there in a month. And he said, you know what? I gave a substantial amount of money to the church about two months ago, and you didn't even recognize that I had done that and contributed that money. I looked at him and I said, you told me you didn't want me to mention nothing to nobody. That's not honesty. See, when we do something for Jesus Christ, number one, it ought to be done humbly. Number two, it ought to be done honestly. But number three, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 very quickly. I want to show you another characteristic of how we ought to do lily work. The next characteristic, very quickly now, I want you to look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and look at verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, look at verse number 6. Paul told the church in Corinth, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his what? Heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a what? <laughs> well, let, let's do that again. God loveth a cheerful giver. Y'all know the word. Everybody in here ought to know it. If you've done any word study of the Bible, the word cheerful there literally means hilarious. That's what it, can you, here's what it means, Panos. God loves a hilarious giver. When we do something for Jesus Christ, we ought to go. <laughs> well, Glory. You won't talk about crazy love. When people see that we're hilarious, you know what? We get excited about what those young people say. Now, I'm just going to make an analogy here too, giving. We get excited about the sing, singing service. We get excited about, well, we get a little apprehensive about the preaching. We do get excited when our Savior's name is exalted. I, I, there's no doubt about that. We get excited about the preaching service. We get excited about the fellowship. We get excited about the tea and biscuits after the service. Yeah. Wow. My brother went, that's right. Amen. Now you park right there, son. 
But you know one aspect that I've never seen people really get excited, I mean really get excited about, is when the offering's taken. You don't know why? Because when them young people sang the night, I was able to sit there and soak it all in, and I received a blessing from it. But you know what? When our bags are passed, you've got to do something. When the offering's taken, you've got to do something. You know what? It ain't about you receiving. It's about you giving. See, and I believe giving is a direct reflection of our heart attitude. May I ask you a question tonight, young people? If you're going to do something for Jesus Christ, it ought to be done humbly. It ought to be done honestly. But it needs to be done happily. Why is it that we see so many Christian services, Christian servants get up, and I've seen it in the States and it breaks my heart, that they say they love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and there's not one ounce of excitement in their bones. How can a person say they love the Lord, their God, and they're not going to spend an eternity separated from Him? And then they say, well, praise the Lord. I know not everybody's going to be as excited as I am. That's okay. But I've said it, young people, that serving Jesus Christ ought to at least put a song in your heart. I waited patiently on the Lord. And He inclined to me and He heard my cry. And He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet on a rock and He established my goings. And He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. What's exciting you? I'm just as tired as you are. I mean, this is a long weekend for everybody. But can I say this? I believe every person that has been part of the bitter end club that just goes to the bitter end on Sunday night, we can clip coupons in heaven because we've seen God do something. And I'm, I'm telling you, I have been here and witnessed when the heavens have been opened and glory filled our soul. And you know what? It can happen tonight even when you're tired. Do you have lily work? I'm asking you. Do you do lily work? Do you do it with some ulterior motive? Or do you want God to just say, Lord, I don't care if nobody else ever knows what I do as long as you know it and I do it for you and you're pleased. That's the only reason I do what I do. You give humbly. You give honestly. You give happily. But can I talk about the command for lily work? You know what? This is not a suggestion, Peter. This is a command. You say, preacher, I don't believe it. Well, turn to Luke chapter number 6. I'll be done with this verse. Luke Luke chapter number 6, look at it. A great Bible doctrine that has been distorted right here. Jesus said it, I didn't. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 38. Give. By the way, that's an imperative. Y'all know what an imperative, y'all speak English, I speak American. I know y'all know what an imperative is. It's a command. Not a suggestion. He said, give, and it shall be given unto you. How? Peter, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure, him that you meet with all it shall be measured to you again. And you know what he's basically saying? Whatever you use as a, as a ruler, it's going to be measured to you. How do you give? Young people, why do you do what you do? Do you really have the judgment seat of Christ in mind when you do what you do? Think about it. One of these days, 
Preacher, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ and my mom and daddy's not going to be there. As much as I love Pastor Larry, Larry's not going to be there for me. Peter, I love you more than you'll ever know, but you know what? You, you won't be standing with me. I'll be standing alone. And I want to make sure that my life is fireproof. When my lily work is put to the test and tried by fire, I want him to say, crown on my head, I can take it off and I can put it back at his feet. His whole conference, since 2003, it's just been this one central truth. Whose will is going to be predominant in your life? I made a mess of my life when I was young. I don't want to make a mess of it after I've been saved. Young people, what you going to do? You got a choice to make. If you're going to do lily work, you need to do it for King Jesus. You need to do it humbly. You need to do it honestly. You need to do it happily. All right, some of y'all need one of these. Stick your right hand out like this. Turn it around. Put it to the corners of your mouth. Take your left hand, put it on your right elbow, and push up. That's, that's called a revival push-up. Why can't we get excited about the one that we do what we do for? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, Dino, and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. I know I'm saved because I was there when it happened. <laughs> Amen, preacher. That's good preaching. I like it. You park right there, son. I love your daddy. The command for lily work, give, and it shall be given unto you. You can close your Bibles. I'm done. Not really. It says, it says good measure, it says good measure pressed down. When I was a kid, I used to go down to the local grocery store, a little meat market, Peter, and over to the side they had a, they had a, a counter and underneath the glass that they lifted up was multitudes, 15, 20 flavors of ice cream. I'm not talking that soft serve ice cream. I'm talking that rock-hard ice cream. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about effeminate ice cream. You know, this. I'm talking about manly ice cream. Man, I'd go down there, and I'm going to tell y'all something. I'm going to give a, I'm going to, I'm going to, predate myself here and give you a little, you'll get a little hint of how old I am. When I could go down there, Tyler, I could get a cone of ice cream big enough that every kid in the community could lick off of it. It was that big around for 35 cents. Huh? Y'all remember when it was that cheap? It, you know, it used to be like, what, 10 pence over here? 
It was probably about five pence when you was a kid, Peter. <laughs> I apologize. I'm sorry. But listen, folks, you know what I loved about going down there? This is the greatest thing about going down there. When the guy that served it, and I'll never forget this, the guy used to wear these, uh, I don't know what you get, muscle T-shirts where your arms are exposed. And man, he, he looked, he had forearms like Popeye. I mean, you know, I mean, he went in. And it, I, I'm not lying. When he would take that thing and dip it in that warm water, Chris, he'd go down in there and I, I'm glad he, I'm glad he had big forearm cup. Man, he'd go down there and he'd say, he'd say, how much you want? I said, just keep on going, son. Keep on going. And he'd get that thing and he'd just keep on scooping and keep on scooping and he'd put it on the cone. He'd turn the scoop over and then he would do this on top of it. So it'd stay. And you know what? I knew I was getting a real blessing of a cone of ice cream when the cone started cracking. Michael, you know what? Jesus said, if you'll give, I'll give unto you good measure, pressed down. You know what God wants to do to your life, young people? He wants to pack the cone of your life to so overflowing that the cone will crack. Why do you do what you do? Why? Do you do it that you may have praise of men? Do you do it with an ulterior motive? Well, if I do this, God's got to do this. No. Grace is not reciprocating. Grace is for the unlovable. Forgiveness is for those who don't deserve forgiveness. Oh, it's easy to forgive somebody when they're forgivable. It's easy to love somebody that's lovable. Why do you do what you do? You say, preacher, how you, how you get all that out of just two words, Lily word? Young people, I had a guy come to me back in 1998. He said, preacher, I want to be a blessing to you. My first church I was pastoring, I guess, for a year. I didn't have a whole lot, guys, of you that are going into ministry. I didn't have a whole lot of books in my library. And I was trying to build a fairly good library. I wanted to have a lot of resources that I could pull from. And this guy said, I want to be a blessing to you. And I went to his place of employment. And he said, uh, I want you to follow me up to this room I've got. We went up a flight of steps, Peter, up into this room, and I opened it up. And when I opened the door, this is no joke, 10-foot ceiling, the walls were lined with bookshelves. And on every one of those bookshelves was rows and rows of Bible commentaries and Treasury of David and everything that Matthew Henry's ever written and all these books from uh, uh, A.W. Tozer and Finney and uh, uh, Moody. And I was like, I walked into the Fort Knox of Bible commentaries. He said, get a couple. I want you to have a few. I said, really? I was like a kid in a candy store. I didn't even know where to start. I got so excited I had to buy go to the restroom before I even started. I got so excited. I said, hold on a minute. I went, in, listen, I went into that thing and he said, I got about 10 books, Peter. I, and I said, man, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, this guy's going to give me books. I don't want to be overbearing. So I got about 10 books and he said, well, Brian. And I said, oh, no, he's been offended. He said, Brian, is that all you going to get? I said, well, I, well, I was. Can I have more? Panos, he let me have 50 books that day. All of them still in my library. I went back to his place of employment 
every weekday for the next four months. And every week, without fail, he took me up to that room and he let me have at least 40 to 50 books. I have over 400 books in my library, and I can guarantee you I've got them because my, they're, they're still packed up. We don't have room for them. But every time that he gave me those books, this gentleman, just nothing but a lay preacher, a Sunday school teacher for 40 years, looked at me and he said, Brian, don't tell nobody I did this. He said, this is my lily work. I said, you know how spiritual we are, brother. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. Amen, lily work. Hey, amen, God bless you. I appreciate the lily work, brother. I got in the van and I went, lily work? What in the world's he talking about? I went back a couple weeks later and I said, preacher, I said, where, where do you get this principle of lily work? He said, it's in the Bible. Look it up. I looked it up. I read it and I went, I still don't get it. I went to his shop one day and he sat me down and for an hour and a half he preached his message to me. And it changed my ministry. I was given my testimony at a Gideon's conference that I, I got saved through the Gideons. Praise the Lord for Gideons. I got saved through the Gideons. And I was given my testimony and I made mention because I was in the area where he was from. I did not know this, folks. But when a guy came up to me, he said, you mentioned Ralph Peeler tonight. Now, I can say his name now because of what I'm getting ready to tell you. He said, I went to church with Ralph Peeler. I said, oh, did Ralph Peeler change churches? He said, no, he's in heaven today. I said, he died? He said, yeah, he passed on and went on to be with Jesus about three months ago. I said, can I tell you something? And I told him what I told you. Tears began to just flow down his face. And I said, brother, have I upset you? He said, no, I know what Ralph Peeler meant now when he said it to me. Come to find out, Ralph knew he was sick. And he knew he was going to die. And Ralph Peeler gave that young preacher boy over 400 books as well. And every time he did it, Peter, he said, don't tell nobody. This is my lily work. Can I ask you something, young people, tonight? The only lily work that we are not to do as born-again believers, or excuse me, as a human being, is the one thing you might need to do tonight. Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I'll not confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. Hey, what, what about you? Why do you do what you do? Do you do what you do might have glory of men? You might as well enjoy it here. I wonder have I done my best for Jesus who died upon the cruel tree to think of His great sacrifice at Calvary. I know my Lord expects the best from me. How many are the lost that I have lifted how many are the chained I helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? When He has done so much for me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around tonight, please, as 
Shelly makes her way to the piano. I want to ask a question tonight. Nobody looking around, you'd say, preacher. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I've put my faith in Christ. I can raise my hand right now that I'm saved on my way to heaven. Not a shadow of a doubt in my mind. If you can say that, once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you. God bless you. If you know you're born again and you're going to heaven, if you can raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know I am. God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. You might be here tonight, and I could not see in a crowd this size everybody, but I do want to do this. I want to be able to pray for you. I wonder if you're in this room and you'd say, Preacher, I'm not sure if something happened to me tonight. Unbeknownst to me, something happened. I don't know if I'd go to heaven, but I want to go, and I want you to pray for me. I'm not sure if something happened to me tonight and I died that I'd go to heaven, but I want to go and I want you to, seriously, I want you to pray for me. And you just lift your hand up and then put it back down and say, preacher, pray for me. Anybody like that, just say, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to pray for God bless you, friend. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I see the hand. You can put it down. Once you put it up, you can put it down. I'm going to do this before I ask for a raise of hands from you Christians that need prayer. I want, you to, I want you to say this. I want you to listen to me now. If you raised your hand and you're not sure that you're saved and you want to go to heaven, but you, if you, something happened to you, you don't know, and you meant that and you raised your hand and you want prayer, would you do something for me? With nobody else looking and Christians praying, I want you to just look up at me. Did you mean it? Did you mean that? Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Did you mean it? I promise you based upon what? Look at me. I promise you based upon what this says, not Brian, that Jesus Christ can save you right where you're sitting and you don't have to leave here hoping. You can leave here knowing that you're saved. Not a hope so, a no so because of the claims of Christ. Not what Brian said, but what Christ said. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And if you'll put your faith in Christ and just receive the free gift, you can know tonight that you're on your way to heaven. Now what I'm going to do, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. What I'm going to do is this. If you raise your hand and you're not sure and you meant that thing and you want me to, you said, I want you to pray for me. I want you to do this with me. If you'll pray silently as I pray aloud. Now a prayer don't save you. But if you'll mean this in your heart, I believe God will save you right where you're sitting. If you raised your hand and not sure, I want you to pray this silently as I pray it aloud. Lord Jesus, I am so sorry. I know I have sinned and my sin has separated me from you. But I know Jesus Christ died for me. And I'm going to ask Him right now to save me and to come into my life and be my Savior. I don't trust church membership. I don't trust church uh, baptism. I'm only going to trust the blood of Christ to save my soul. And I ask Him to come into my life right now and save me in Jesus' name. Now with nobody looking, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Can you do me a favor? Would you just let me rejoice with the angels in heaven? If you made that decision tonight and you prayed that, would you just say, Preacher, I made that decision to trust Christ right now. And I just want to raise my hand and praise the Lord that I did that. I'm not going to point you out, but I want to do it. God bless your heart. Anybody else say it? God bless you, friend. Anybody? God bless you. God bless, God bless you, friend. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If the angels can shout in heaven, God's people can because it just had six hands raised that they trusted Christ as their Savior. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. We're getting ready to have an invitation time.
Maybe you need to come and talk to somebody and then take a Bible and pray with you and get this thing settled in your heart. You know what? If you made a decision to trust Christ, can I say this? Jesus died for all of your sins. If He died for all of them, how many does that leave? None. They're gone. And all you got to do is tr trust the finished work of Calvary. And if you've done that tonight, you ought to go get somebody and say, you know what? I made a decision to trust Christ in this invitation time. Hey, Christian, do you have true lily work in your life? Maybe there's something that you need to pray about tonight before we go into question time and discussion time. And whatever God's doing, I don't want to get in His way, but right now we're going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, have Your will in Your way in this invitation time. Lord, if people need to pray, we don't want to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit of God when You're moving. Now, God, I pray that You would have Your will in Your way and we'll love You and praise You in Jesus' name.